Friends, our second lesson today is taken from the uh, book, letter to the Ephesians, chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God so that you may be able to withstand on that evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand therefore and fasten the belt of truth around your waist and put on the breastplate of righteousness. As shoes for your feet, put on whatever will make you ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. With all of these, take the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times, in every prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert and always persevere in supplication for all the saints. Pray also for me, so that when I speak, a message may be given to me to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it boldly, as I must speak. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Well, I mentioned during the announcements that I really don't get pumpkin spice. And there's always, there's something else that I never really understood the attraction of, and that was pro wrestling. All right, so I, I don't know if any of you were ever into like WWF, I guess it's WWE. Now, I, I just don't get it. I never got the attraction. But when I read about it, one of the things that they mentioned was that one of the things they do very well from an entertainment perspective was that they framed out the characters as very clearly delineated good guys and bad guys. All right, so you knew who you were supposed to root for and you knew who you were supposed to root against. Now, the reason why I bring that up has to do with the way this passage is framed. The, in the passage, they talk about this struggle that we have. And that word struggle in the Greek is this word pale, which literally means wrestling. So it's a literal reference to the idea of wrestling with people, except this is not a wrestling that takes place within the context of clearly knowing who's good and who's bad. All right, the first thing that this passage tells us about this struggle, about this wrestling, is that it isn't so obvious who you're fighting against. It says it's not against the enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers. And so it's telling you it's not so clear in the midst of this struggle exactly who your opponent is. And this kind of makes sense if we think back to the way combat was really until the modern day. Un until the invention of firearms, combat was up close and personal. And so if you remember some of these old movies, remember like uh, Braveheart and the, and the battle scenes in Braveheart or a movie like Gladiator, okay? It's just pure chaos and, and people are in your face. I always wonder watching those movies how you even were able to tell who was your friend and who was your foe. I, I suspect that if I were thrust into a situation like that, I would just be swinging my weapon at anything within arm's length. You know, I'm not going to sit back and figure it out. I'm just 
going for it, okay? And I think that that chaos, that confusion that, that surrounds people in that kind of struggle is sort of the environment, the image that we get here. The image that we're getting here is that we are struggling, we are wrestling, and it's not even clear who we're wrestling against. And we have a tendency to often misidentify the real enemy. In fact, that word pale that I was just talking about is this word that has a related word in Greek that means leverage, which makes a great sense if you think about wrestling, right? What's the art of wrestling? It's not just about brute strength. It's not just about overpowering your opponent. It's about securing points at which you can use leverage against your opponent. And so it makes sense that the Greek word for wrestling and the Greek word for leverage emanate from the same root. And I think if we think about what's happening here, we have to understand that sometimes the things we are up against have inordinate leverage over us. So the struggle that we have in life is so often up close and personal and against an opponent that isn't really clear. And if we're going to make headway in the struggles that we face, we have to begin to get clarity about what those things are. It's not as clean cut as you see in the movies where you have, you know, fighting at a distance and everybody's got, you know, uniforms where they know what's going on and it's obvious it's actually in our lives so much more obscure than that to the point where we often get confused as to what's right, what's wrong, who's on our side, and who is not. And aiding that, of course, are the forces that, of darkness, the forces that work against us. One of the things that the passage tells us is that we are supposed to try to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now, wiles isn't a word we use very much. I think the last time I heard it was referencing wily coyote. Uh, but uh, aside from that, you know, we don't, it's not a word that, that gets used in our vocabulary every day. But the word wiles, uh, both in the Greek and in the English, the, the Greek word for it, it talks about trickery. It talks about deception. All right? and, and so the idea is that one of the things that has great leverage over us is deceit. One of the things that has great leverage over us is lies and deception. It's one of the easiest ways to get people to do something that's wrong is to convince them that it's right. It's the easiest way. It's much harder to get, tell somebody, by the way, this is an awful evil thing and I would like you to do it. It's much better to convince you that it's not an awful evil thing. It's a perfectly normal, acceptable thing. And that's the easiest way to get you to do that which is actually wrong. So much of the struggle that we have in our lives is actually a struggle against deception. Much of the struggle that we face is a struggle to look at our lives, look at what's within our lives, look at, at who is around us, look at what is around us, and to do it honestly. See, I really wonder to what extent we get in trouble simply because we are fooling ourselves. To what extent do we manage to, to not only fool ourselves, but then enlist others in, in the effort? Okay? We, we love to surround ourselves with friends who affirm us even when we're wrong. 
We, we, we love to have friends who will support us in, in the lies we want to tell ourselves. And sometimes we feel that that's our obligation as a friend. Sometimes we feel that our obligation as a friend is that when your friend is, is actually deceiving themselves, that we play into it and support them. I mean, I hear these kind of things, you know, all the time. I mean, let me give you an example. I, I mean, so often in life, uh, I guess, history, I've heard uh, people come to me and complain about their job, their boss. And actually, in the course of complaining about their job and their boss, what you actually get a sense of is that they're actually a lousy employee. You know, they're coming up to you and they're going, I can't believe my boss, man. They want the assignment done right and on time. How unreasonable is that? And as a good friend, what do you say? Yeah, you're right. <laughs> man, dictator. They want it on time. We're just human. They have no right to demand accuracy and timeliness. No. But then that allows the person to persist in something that isn't right, that is going to have negative consequences in their future. And are we really doing themselves a favor by playing into that? And are they really doing themselves a favor by allowing themselves to persist in that? And how many situations are we trapped in in our lives because we've actually surrounded ourselves with kind of a cocoon, a bubble of deception that ends up hurting us? You know, I think it's no accident that when you look at the... the metaphors that are given here for weapons that you use in the struggle, the very first one is about truth. Fasten the belt of truth around your waist. The very first defense mentioned is truth. And everything else that's mentioned, these attributes, righteousness, the gospel, salvation, the Spirit. These are all like North Star kinds of reference points that we're supposed to have in our lives that keep us honest about knowing where we are. I mean, you know, we call, you know, we use a reference like North Star because what's the North Star's point? It's so that you know where it is, so that you know where you are. And we have to have these kinds of things in our lives that are bedrock reference points so that when we see them and look at them and know where it is, we know where we are. Truth, righteousness, faith, the gospel, the knowledge of salvation. These are things that are fixed reference points in our lives. And when we look at them and then we know where we stand relative to them and we have to hold ourselves to understanding where we are with regard to them. And if we don't, if we allow ourselves to be deluded into believing that we are closer to truth than we think we are, or closer to righteousness than we think we are, those lies have tremendous power. Secrets and lies have tremendous leverage over us. Secrets and lies 
can take our lives and turn them upside down. And it doesn't take much. They can turn us upside down the way a good wrestler can flip a larger, stronger person upside down. All they need is to have the right position over them. Secrets and lies give what's wrong leverage to flip our lives upside down. We need to learn to confront them, and we need to learn that confronting them, though scary, is better. There's a great quote from Andy Stanley, you know, who I quote a lot because I listen to him every week. But I love this quote, and I think it's true. He was talking, and by the way, he said this probably a year ago, before we've had many of the recent scandals that have come out here, there, and everywhere. Uh, but he said this. He said, the consequences of concealment are always worse than the consequences of confession. I think this is so absolutely true. The consequences of concealment are always worse than the consequences of confession. And notice that confession has consequences. You know, we so much want to be, you know, the standard six-year-old thing of, of saying, why am I being punished? I confessed. They always believe that somehow confession should relieve them of consequences. And the parent is like, no, thank you for confessing. That was good. You're still grounded. Confession has consequences. And because confession has consequences, we try to avoid the truth. But at the end of the day, the lies catch up with all of us. And the eventual consequences of concealment are worse. He was even speaking into you know, some of the situations we see out there with people who've done horrific things in their jobs. And, and, and he says, look... At the end of the day, it's going to come out, and you're going to be found out, and you're going to pay the price. He said, what would you rather do? And he says, you know, and they find it out. He goes, you're going to, let's say, lose your job. Let's say you've done something for which you ought to lose your job. Which is better, that you confess and you lose your job, but at least you will have done so with some integrity. You'll have done so with, with some, you, you, you know, self-respect remaining. He goes, or you get found out and you lose your job anyway and you're fired in disgrace. Your reputation in total tatters. The concealment is worse than the confession. We like to lie to ourselves by believing, it's kind of a catch-22, we lie to ourselves into believing that somehow we'll escape truth. We lie to ourselves in believing that somehow the truth won't catch up to us. And believe me, it's going to. The truth wins. So in all the struggles that you may be facing, one of the things we need to do is to be honest with ourselves. And also surround ourselves with people who will be honest with us. We need to be honest with ourselves and be willing to have people around us who will be honest with us. Because one thing about this metaphor, and I, you know, as a Christian, I'm not terribly comfortable with violent military metaphors, but, but one thing about this metaphor is also that soldiers don't fight alone. Right? You don't go into battle by yourself. You need to have the people with you and around you 
who are your partners in the battle. There are so many people in this world who actually don't have someone with whom they feel they can be completely, totally honest, which is why small groups are so important. We'll get back to our connect groups and talking about what the importance is. One of the main important things about being a part of a connect group or having some kind of group like that in your life is having people around you to whom you can confess the struggle that you're having, to whom you can confess the thing that you're dealing with and then confront it honestly. It's a really important thing in our lives so that we can not only be honest, but be surrounded with people who keep us honest. And when we do that, we disempower so many of the negative forces around us in life. The first step towards solving any problem we have is to be honest. Honest with where we are compared to where we ought to be. Honest with what the situation is that we're facing. Honest about our role in creating the circumstances that we face. And then when we do that, when we do that, we have a chance of defeating the negative forces that are harming us. Amen.